Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, January 30th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast um, is a podcast that is dedicated to prayer, devotion, scripture reading, and Bible study. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all handled from a biblical worldview. Um, my brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing some great work for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go on over there and listen. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there to listen to, and there's a really good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, we're moving on through the week. We're going to do our Bible reading this morning, as we always do, and we're going to continue on. We're going to wrap up this section, this first section about Jesus praying for all believers, this part about being unity, being united in the truth um, for the evening segment. So let's go ahead and let's open up with the morning, with the third day morning prayer called God, Creator and Controller. Let's pray. Most High God, the universe with all its myriad creatures as thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way. Excite in us abhorrence of sin. Wean us, wean us from the present evil world. Assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Uh, the text for it is from 2 Samuel 5, 24. When thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, then thou shalt bestir thyself. The members of Christ's church should be very prayerful, always seeking the unction of the Holy One to rest upon their hearts, that the kingdom of Christ may come, and that his will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. But there are times when God seems especially to favor Zion. Such seasons ought to be to them like the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees. We ought then to be doubly prayerful, doubly earnest, wrestling more at the throne yeah, wrestling more at the throne than we have been wont to do. Action should then be prompt and vigorous. The tide is flowing. Now let us pull manfully for the shore. Oh for Pentecostal outpourings and Pentecostal labors. Christian, in yourself there are times when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees. You have a peculiar power in prayer. The Spirit of God gives you joy and gladness. The scripture is open to you. The promises are applied. You walk in the light of God's countenance. You have peculiar freedom and liberty and devotion, and more closeness of communion with Christ than was your wont. Now at such joyous periods, when you hear the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, is the time to bestir yourself. Now is the time to get rid of any evil habit, while God the Spirit helpeth your infirmities. Spread your sail, but remember what you sometimes sing. I can only spread the sail. Thou, thou must breathe the auspicious gale. Only be sure you have the sail up. Do not miss the gale for want of preparation for it. Seek help of God that you may be more earnest in duty when made more strong in faith, that you may be more constant in prayer when you have more liberty at the throne, that you may be more holy in your conversation whilst you live more closely with Christ. All right. Well, so our reading today, we're going to be reading Exodus 10, 11, and the first 13 verses of Exodus 12, Matthew 20, the first 28 verses, 
Psalm 25 verses 1 through 15, and Proverbs 6 verses 6 through 11. So Exodus 10. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants with firmness, that I may set these signs of mine among them, and that you may recount in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I dealt severely with the Egyptians, and how I put my signs among them, that you may know that I am Yahweh. Then Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what remains for you from the hail, and they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Then your houses and the houses of all your servants, sorry, servants and the houses of all the Egyptians shall be filled, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve Yahweh their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve Yahweh your God, who are the ones that are going. And Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we shall go, for it is a feast of Yahweh for us. Then he said to them, Thus may Yahweh be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go. See, for evil is on your faces. Now go, go now. I'm sorry, not so. Go now, the men among you, and serve Yahweh, for that is what you are seeking. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt, and eat every plant of the land, all that the hail has left remaining. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and Yahweh directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt, and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very heavy. There had never been so many locusts, now would there be, nor would there be so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every plant of the land, and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called, for Moses and Aaron. And he said, I have sinned against Yahweh your God and against you. So now please forgive my sin only this once and entreat Yahweh your God that he would only cause this death to depart from me. And he went out from Pharaoh and entreated Yahweh. So Yahweh changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust remained in all the territory of Egypt. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart with strength, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was thick, there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their places of habitation. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve Yahweh, only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. But Moses said, You must also let us have in our hands sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice them to Yahweh our God. Therefore our livestock too shall go with us, not a hoof shall remain behind. For we shall take some of them to serve Yahweh our God. And until we come there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve Yahweh. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart with strength, and he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, beware, do not see my face again, for in the day you see my face you shall die. And Moses said, As you have spoken, I shall never see your face again. Exodus 11 Then Yahweh said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people, so that each man may ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. And Yahweh gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, um, moreover the man Moses himself was very great in the land of Egypt. 
both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says Yahweh, About midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the servant girl who is behind the millstones, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. But for any of the sons of Israel, a dog... Sorry, but for any of the sons of Israel, a dog will not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may know how Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then all those your, these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my miraculous wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Now Moses and Aaron did all these miraculous wonders before Pharaoh, yet Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart with strength, and he did not let the sons of Israel, the sons of Israel go out of his land. Exodus 12, reading the first 13 verses. Now Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to apportion the lamb. Your lamb shall be a male without blemish, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it, and they shall eat the fresh the flesh that night roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Passover of Yahweh. And I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. And the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And I will see the blood, and I will pass over you. And there shall be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Matthew 20, verse 28 verses. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And when those hired first came, they supposed that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Now when they received it, they were grumbling at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. And as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him over to the Gentiles to mock and flog and crucify him, and on the third day he will be raised up. 
Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right hand and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Psalm 25, the first 15 verses of David. To you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, let none who hope in you be ashamed. Let those who deal treacherously without cause be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. In you I hope all the day. Remember, O Yahweh, your compassion and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Yahweh. Good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. May he lead the humble in justice, and may he teach the humble his way. All the paths of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth to those who guard his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears Yahweh? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in goodness, and his seed will inherit the land. The secret of Yahweh is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward Yahweh, for he will bring my feet out of the net. And finally, Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond. <laughs> and your want like an armed man. All right, well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that uh, our time together doing this helps to keep us all saturated in the word of Christ as we need to be. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. Uh, the one we're going to use from Valley Vision is called Fullness in Christ. Let's pray. O God, thou hast taught me that Christ has all fullness and so all plenitude of the Spirit, that all fullness I lack in myself is in him. For his people, not for himself alone, he having perfect knowledge, grace, righteousness, to make me see, to make me righteous, to give me fullness, that it is my duty out of a sense of emptiness to go to Christ, possess, enjoy his fullness as mine, as if I had it in myself, because it is for me in him that when I do this, I am full of the Spirit, as a fish that has got from the shore to the sea and has all fullness of waters to move in. For when faith fills me, then I am full, that this is the way to be filled with the Spirit, like Stephen, first faith, then fullness, for this way makes me most empty, and so most fit for the Spirit to fill. Thou hast taught me that the finding of this treasure of all grace in the field of Christ begets strength, joy, glory, and renders all graces alive. Help me to delight more in what I receive from Christ, more in that fullness which is in him and fountain of all his glory. Let me not think to receive the Spirit from him as a thing, apart from finding drinking, being filled with him. To this end, O God, do thou establish me in Christ. Settle me, Give me a being there. Assure me with certainty that all this is mine, for this only will fill my heart with joy and peace. Amen. All right. Well, like I said, 
Thank you for spending this time with me. I very much appreciate it. I, again, hope you have a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, January 30th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on in our study of John 7, chapter 17. We're going to be wrapping up this evening this one section about, um, it's part one of Jesus praying for all believers, this part that is titled that they would be presently united in truth. It's this section about unity. So, but first, we're going to open up with prayer. Um... We're praying here from at the throne of grace. Again, it's a collection of John MacArthur's prayers that his children put together from my understanding. And let's see, the one we're doing today is living a little heaven on earth. So Romans 5 verses 1 through 11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into his, this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we are both emboldened and humbled when we consider how we have been justified by faith. We have been introduced into your matchless grace. We have been given a strong and secure standing before you, and now we have every reason to rejoice in the hope of one day receiving unimaginable glory that we do not deserve as joint heirs with Christ, to whom all glory rightfully belongs. We thank you for pouring into our hearts divine love through the Holy Spirit. How amazing it is that when we were helpless and ungodly, Christ shed his blood for us, not only saving us from your just wrath, but also reconciling us to yourself as lost sons and daughters. You chose us, called us, and redeemed us, O God, and you have accepted us in the Beloved, your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved by you with an eternal love that transcends every power, every force, every creature, and every measure of both time and eternity. That love is the ultimate reason for our redemption. We therefore owe Christ our most heartfelt love, highest honor, and deepest reverence. And yet we confess with shame that our love for him is too feeble, too fickle, too faithless to honor him as he deserves. We are too easily distracted, too easily discouraged, and too easily disturbed by the trials, temptations, and trivialities of daily life in this fallen world. We are neither as poor in spirit nor as pure in heart as we ought to be, Forgive us for our arrogance and deeply ingrained self-love and purge all such sins from our hearts. One day we will love Christ perfectly. One day we will serve him most faithfully. One day we will worship him in true singleness of heart. One day we will know him as we ourselves are known by him. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see him face to face. And in so seeing him, we shall be transformed, fully glorified and instantly made to reflect his likeness with that consummate consummate perfection, only your grace can accomplish for us. In the meantime, with all that our feeble hearts can muster, we worship the Lord Jesus. We seek to live in a way that continually expresses our thankfulness to him. We seek to know him better and serve him even more faithfully. We ask you to make him known through your, our words and our deeds to the needy souls around us. We have found in Christ all our happiness and hope. 
Grant us by grace the singleness of heart to keep our minds fixed on him, our lives surrendered to him, our words devoted to his honor, and our hands committed to his work. May the power of your Spirit increase in us, so that so that we might be more faithful witnesses for Christ in this hostile world, demonstrating the depth of his love, following the model of his self-sacrifice, walking in the footsteps of his example, conforming to the pattern of his self-sacrifice, reflecting the qualities of his character, beating the mar bearing the marks of his sufferings, trusting in the efficacy of his death, living in the power of his resurrection, and declaring the trustworthiness of his truth as he himself would proclaim it. To know Christ is truly a foretaste of heaven's glory. May we have a hunger to experience that heaven on earth in all its fullness, until we enter the great heaven of heavens and worship and serve our Lord and Savior with true perfection. Forgive us, Father, for our daily failures and sin. Help us to pursue your righteousness more diligently each day in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, and now... Our evening devotion from Glorifying God by Thomas Watson. And let's see. Oh, I need to flip the page. It's for January 30th. For January 30th. All righty. Uh, the title for this is Holy Living Glorifies God. Ye, uh, the text for it is 1 Peter 2.9. Ye are a holy nation that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We glorify God by a holy life. A bad life dishonors God. As Paul testifies, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, Christians who dishonor God. Romans 2.24 Epiphanius says that the looseness of some Christians in his time made many of the heathens shun their company, and these heathens would not be drawn to hear their sermons. By our exact Bible conversation, we glorify God. Though the main work of Christianity lies in the heart, our light must so shine that others may see it. So the beauty of our Christian faith is in our conversation. When the saints who are called jewels cast a sparkling luster of holiness in the world, they walk as Christ walked. 1 John 2.6 when Christians live as if they had actually seen the Lord and been with him upon the mount, they adorn Christianity, bringing revenues of glory to the crown of heaven. Our chief end shouldn't be to get great wealth or to lay up treasures on earth. Sometimes people never get wealth, nor do they get the venison. Yeah, the venison they hunt for. Or if they do, what have they? Something that won't fill the heart any more than the mariner's breath will fill the sails of a ship. They, spread their, they spend their time gathering straw, not remembering that the end of living is to glorify God. Oh, how true that is. Um, like I've said before, um, first question of Westminster Shorter Catechism speaks of it. That the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him, enjoy him forever. All right, well, hang on a minute. I need a drink here. Sorry about that. I was starting to dry out. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this section today of John 17. It was verses 20 through 23. This section is this first section about Jesus praying for all the believers. And this section was titled that they would be presently united in truth. And that's the thing. It's about union in the truth. Um, and as we've spoken before, well, okay. So let me back up a little bit. So again, we've talked about repeatedly that this prayer is broken into three parts. First five verses are Jesus praying for himself and praying for himself about himself completing the work that God has given him thus to glorify God and so that then he would be glorified as well. Verses 6 through 19 is Jesus praying for the disciples themselves, these 11 that are left. Um, and obviously it's a very, very important prayer um, for them because he is praying for them because they are going to be the foundation on which the church is built. We see that in um, Ephesians 2. Um, yeah, it's Ephesians 2. Um, that they are the foundation of the church, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, the teachings of the, of, of the apostles and the prophets. So it's very, very critical that he pray for them. And again, he's prayed for them, um, you know, like we, we talked about verses 6 through 10. You know, he talks about, here's why 
and, and he's doing this out loud. Okay. This is not him con confirming for himself that he knows God will answer this prayer. He's making clear to the disciples. Again, he's praying out loud among these 11. And part of it is a conversation. Again, we've talked about it. This is the true Lord's prayer. This is Jesus. One part of the triune God communicating with another part of the God, triune God, God, the father. Okay. <clears throat> but he's communicating this out loud. And part of that is to make clear to the disciples that, that they understand. And in this case, verses six through 10, that they understand that God is going to answer this. I, he's praying this as if God has already answered this. God is going to take care of this. And he makes clear why, because these, these disciples have believed that he is the son of God, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of God. Um, and th this believing is not an intellectual ascent. As I've said, it is a true belief in the Christ. But then the also verses nine and 10, because they were given to him from the father, these disciples were given to him as a gift. They're part of his inheritance as we are. So he knows that God is going to then acquiesce to his request that he's going to make, which he then makes, um, in the second part, verses 11 through 19, that we dealt with in his praying for the disciples, um, that was titled as those whom he is about to leave. Jesus is about to leave. So he makes requests for them and he prays for spiritual protection for them and for sanctifying purity for them. Again, he he's trying to strengthen them. One, he wants them to know, yes, I'm praying for you, but two, he, he needs them to understand that you are protected both spiritual protection and your sanctifying purity. The point being that they need that strength so that they can stand in the battle. Because again, they're, they're in a world we, we tend to sit there and I, and I know I've, I've always had this problem over the years. We seem to think of, um, and I'm going to use a word that most folks don't use here. Um, but we seem to think of, of first century Israel as being the, and, and the world around it is being this bucolic setting, uh, meaning, meaning very, very, uh, pedestrian, very, very, um, agra agrarian, very, very, but very, very calm, very, very peaceful. It was not, it was not for the average everyday person. And it was definitely not for the Christians. Again, this isn't a time, um, Paul is murdered. Well, Paul just wasn't randomly murdered because he was a disciple of Christ. He was murdered because at that point, and I forget which emperor it was, they were purging the Christians. They were slaughtering them. Um, again, this was at a time, and I, I, I forget whether it was Nero or Caligula. I think it was Nero. And I think it was Nero that killed Paul. But I think it was also Nero that had Christians doused in tar, put up on posts, and lit on fire as street lamps. Not kidding. Um, needless to say, it's always been well known, um, that Christians, uh, for their entertainment, Christians would be taken to, um, the Colosseum and they would be thrown to the lions. And so the people would sit around for entertainment and watch these Christians be torn apart by these live animals, by, by these wild animals. Um, so this is the world they're, they're living in. These guys are living in. So obviously he prays for them that, you know, they would be strong. They would have spiritual protection. And, and part of that is protecting them from the spiritual assaults that are coming, but also helping them to walk in true sanctification into in, in purity so that they are an example. I mean, we just, we just prayed that in, in the, um, well, we just talked about it in glorifying God, but we prayed that in the, in the, uh, what is it? at the throne of grace about that, that our model would be pure, would be clear so that, that, that the world would see that we are his. Um, again, why, why, why would people come to us? Oh no, it, it was in glorified God. I'm sorry. Watson talking about that, that people, um, epiphanies, I think he was talking about or something like that, that was talking about that, that people were seeing these Christians in such bad behavior and acts that they didn't want to come hear them be preached and hear them preach to them because they were hypocritical. Well, that that's the same thing. That's what he's trying to pray to these guys, that these guys would walk in the purity that Jesus is. The reason Jesus had such an impact is because he walked a purely righteous life. He walked a purely righteous walk. So he had such a huge impact and it was so, so different. Again, that was part of the authority he had. It was so different from what 
the religious elite did who wanted everybody to bow to them, wanted all the best seats. We're going to sit there, have the long tassels. We're going to sit there and offer up these huge prayers and all this kind of stuff. But, the, but they lived like animals. They lived like beasts. They, they lived like fornicating animals. So they were hypocrites. So needless to say, they, they, they were not a good, good witness. And of course their religion was false at this point. So that's why Jesus prayed for that for them so that they would be a good witness. So then we got into this section about unity, um, verses 20 through 23. And let me just go ahead and read it for you real quick. So John 17, verse 20 through 23, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may be all, that they may all be one, even as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me the glory, which you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So we've looked at the root of true unity. We saw that in verse 20. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, who believe through the words of the disciples. So that that's that root is belief. It's belief in the truth, belief in the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that he was propitiatorially sacrificed on the cross for our salvation or was, was about to be. Thus, Jesus is speaking of it as if it's already done. But then we saw their request for true unity right there in the beginning of verse 21, that they may all be one. That's what he's requesting, that all of these believers, and this is everybody, out through the end of time, that we would all be one. And then he goes on the representation of true unity. And we see that through the rest of verse 21 through 23. And, and that was what I was telling you last night. You know, you sit there and you read through it without really parsing through it. And you start going, bleh, 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 because it sounds like Jesus is speaking gobbledygook. He's just speaking things. Well, he's not, he's being very, very clear. He's trying to make the representation. And, and, you know, he says it, um, that they all may all be one, even as you father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us us so that the world may believe that you sent me the glory which you have given me i have given to them that they may be one just as we are one i in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity again it's showing that clear he's making that clear reference like we talked about last night the unity between god and jesus as we talked about from john 1 1 and the word was with god and, and we talked about what that really meant is that intimate, close agape relationship between God and Jesus Christ. And that represents the unity that we as believers should manifest in this world. And we talked about those five characteristics. And of course, I didn't open up those notes and I don't remember off the top of my head. And so I'm going to pop it up real quick. Here we go. Pulled my notes out. So we see that we saw that they were, that the father and son are united in motive. They're equally committed to the glory of God. Well, so should we be, as I said, you know, I, I quoted to you just a few minutes ago, 15 minutes ago or so, or whatever the, you know, the, the, the first question of the Westminster shorter catechism, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Well, we should all as believers, that should be our focus. Thus, we're united in that motive. We should be and manifest being united in that motive to glorify God. That should be our chief motive. But we also talked about the father and son being united in mission, that they share the common goal. Again, their common goal is, is to bring lost sinners to salvation and give them eternal life. Well, that should be our goal. While we can't save them, it's our goal to bring them the gospel. That's the instrumental, I'm sorry, that is the, the instrumental cause that God uses us bringing the gospel to them. And this is not just from the pulpit. This is not just pastors and teachers. This is every Christian. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 is for all of us. You're not called to be a pew sitter. Every one of you, every one of us are called to be evangelists and to take the evangel, to take the new, the good news to all the ends of the earth. 
And believe me, I'm not saying you got to pick up and go to Africa because I guarantee you there's area right around where you live that needs the gospel. So we need to be carrying it to them. So we should be united in that mission. Not united in holding pews down, but united in that mission. The father and son are united in the truth. They're united around the truth of the gospel. As we should be. I mean, the fact is, totus, to, um, sola scriptura, scripture alone, and totus scriptura, all of scripture. We should be united around that. and We should manifest that. Um, the father and son are united in holiness. They're striving. They are holy, both of them. We should be striving towards that holiness. That should be part of our walk, constantly striving toward, for it. Um, Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That's our striving towards that. Towards that. And then the father and son are united in love. And he clearly talks about that here in, the verse, in our verses here, that they're united in love. I, I mean, God calls him clearly my beloved son. And, and he's not just calling that as an honorific. He's saying it because he loves his son. And in loving that son, I, honestly, I have two sons. I have two sons and a grandson. And I can't imagine sacrificing any of them for anybody, including myself. And the relationship between the father and son in the triune Godhead is much, much closer than mine will ever be with my children or my grandchildren. No matter how close that is, and we have very good relationships, theirs is closer, but he sacrificed his son. But he loved him. He loved him so much that he gave us to him. But so what we're seeing today is the results. And I know this is way into it to get to, but, but again, this is the results of all the other. That's why I kind of went back through it. What we're seeing today is the results of true unity. Verse 21c, the very end of verse 21, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Then we see it follow along in 23b, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Again, I, I talked about it last night. There was always a song in our Methodist hymnal, um, and usually it was something printed out and glued in to the front or back cover of it. And the song was something along the lines of, they will know, uh, the chorus was like, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. And really what that song seemed to come across about is this love that we're talking about being manifested here. That they were united in that love, like we talked about last night. United in that love, we manifest those things together. We have to look different. We have to look different. We have to be clear. We are not of this world. We are visitors here. We are not of this world. And that has to show in our walks. And in our walks as the church as a whole, again, we're not walking this road alone. And so this idea that we can wander off and do it however we want to do it, that doesn't fly. I mean, the fact, the fact is I'm walking this, you know, I I'm a deacon in our church. Actually, I'm being considered for elder right now. And I don't say that to get anybody pat me on the back. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled that, that I was asked. I hope, and I pray that I can properly serve both God and, and this church and these believers. But we walk this path together. I walk this path side by side with my pastor, with, with the, uh, the el other elders and deacons, with the other men in our church, the other women in our church, the, the men and women in our Sunday school class that my wife and I teach. Um, I walk it side by side with them. We walk it together. That unity is such, it, it makes me think back to, and of course, I know this comes from my, my background as being an amateur military historian, okay? And thus, when I hit Ephesians 6, talking about the full armor of God, believe me, when I dug into that, when we were doing the Bible study here on the podcast, I, I love that part of it. Excuse me, I need some water here. Because I love Paul's use of the typical Roman armor of the day. But it was more than just describing the honor armor. It's making clear. You got to stop and think how the Romans fought at that time. 
they were not, this was not like a bunch of guys on a paintball course running around and finding hiding spots and shooting each other from long distance and all that. What Paul was describing, the, the way these Romans fought is they, they strapped on all their armor and they stepped up into line and they lined up shoulder to shoulder and their shield was such that it covered part of them and covered part of the guy to their left because usually they were right-handed so the shield would be on the left arm and their sword or spear would be in their right hand to stick between the shields but the shield of the guy to their right gave them partial cover and everybody leaned in um, they had the hobnailed shoes so that they could grab almost like cleats. So it would grab traction and they would maintain that line. Any one person backing out of that line, falling down, quitting, weakened the line and, and put everybody in jeopardy to either side. Now I've talked about that and that we've got to hold our place in line so that we don't jeopardize our brothers and sisters. And that's true. But that unity should keep us holding that line, that love, that, 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 common motive, that common mission, um, that, that constant striving for holiness should keep us standing side by side. Um, and in, and even in some cases, the way they do in the Roman, when, when they would do it, there'd be the front line, there'd be a second line and a third line right behind him formed up the same way. And when it came to the hard pushes, they went head to head with the enemy. The second line and the third line would come up behind the first and put their, put their shields up against the back of the guy in the front and brace him to provide him support. So again, all of it is a whole, and that's how we have to be unified. That's what mass, if we love each other, if we truly show this love, that's how the world has to see us. Not as, not as this rampaging phalanx of Roman soldiers, but as being united. I, I'm sorry, I've seen something recently um, a teacher I've trusted for a very, very, very long time um, has has had great effect on my Christian walk. Um, and in this case, he was asked a question and he answered it. And he's been very, very clear uh, and, and stood clearly on the scripture as far as um, things in this nature go. But in this case, I feel like he gave a woman the wrong advice. Um. I feel like he gave her the wrong advice. Again, he did not give her false teaching from the scripture. I feel like he directed her wrong. I would not have directed her that way. But you know what? That man's actually been in the ministry pretty much most of my life. Okay. So long before I ever was saved. Um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt of that. I'm going to keep my eye on him, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt of that because he is my brother in Christ. And I love him. I truly, I've never met the man, but I love him. I love his teaching. I listen to him every day. I love him. He has been such a strength for me and my walk and has been for so, for thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. So while I will stand and say, I disagree with him. I don't think what he gave was the proper advice. It was advice. He did not give false teaching. He is very clear on the teachings around this. But he was, but, and I understand why he said what he said, but I disagree with him as, as do a number of others that are my brothers in Christ. But most of us, we're not writing this man off. He is our brother. We are in union with him. We are in unity with him. And so we must manifest that love to each other because when the world sees that, I'm sorry, the world is out there trying to hack and trash. I mean, one of the, one of the biggest things, and my, my wife and I watch them and I, and I, I'm admitting this to you. Sometimes we like to sit there and watch Karen videos on YouTube. Um, now, in some cases, we get really, really mad at the people filming because they're antagonists and they're causing them to behave this way and they are just as guilty. So let me be clear about that. But we're in a world full of folks like that that would rather spend their life and their time being angry at each other and hating on each other than showing love. We've got to manifest that unity. That's what Jesus is praying for for us. This is hours, hours before he's going to be arrested and beaten 
and 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 um, beaten to where he's unrecognizable, scourged to where you can see the bones in his back through his skin that's been torn open, um, reviled by those, even though he's completely and totally innocent. He's completely and totally righteous, deserves none of this. And then he's going to be nailed up on the cross. Just the thought of the nails going through his wrists and his feet as they pound him into it to then stand it up and have it drop. Think about that. The, the big four by four comes up and drops into the hole in the ground and rattles around in there while you're up there with the nails in, in you. He's within hours of that, but he prays for our unity. So the result of our unity, that the unity that he's praying for here, the result of our unity has to be that the world will see us and believe that we were sent by, that, 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 God sent Christ to us and thus that the world would know that God sent him and that God loves us even as he loved Jesus, even as he loved the Christ. We have to manifest that in this world to be the proper witnesses, to truly glorify God and enjoy him forever as we are called to. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today. Again, God willing, we'll start the next section and maybe this week or early next week, we'll wrap up John 17. All right, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the third day evening prayer called before sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. 10,000 minister to thee, 10,000 times 10,000 stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us. Thy promises encourage us. Our broken hearts incite us. The mediator draws us. Thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are fr from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Mm -hmm.